0: Church and happy summer last Sunday of july we 've almost made it through the summer i hope we 've had a good summer we 're taking a little vacation next week i 'm looking forward to it it 's been nice and hot. Uh, hot enough that I had to make it into a creek a couple of days ago and I lost my glasses. So that's why I'm not wearing my glasses. Uh, it also means I'm not wearing bifocals for the first time in about five years. So good luck to me to read my sermons. So who knows what I'm going to say today because I can't read my notes. So, you know, we'll get through. It'll be all right. Uh, glad you're here. My name's Ethan, one of the ministers here. Uh, if you're a guest with us, we are so glad you're here today. We have spent our summer in Galatians chapter 5 where Paul describes a contrast between a life that is rooted in our flesh, which produces the fruit of the flesh, and a life that is rooted in God's Spirit, which produces the fruit of the Spirit. He's got a list. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against this kind of stuff, there's no law. And what we've been learning throughout the summer is sort of this kind of simple spiritual truth that there is spiritual fruit that we want and that we are called upon by God to bear. But that even though we want this fruit, none of us can produce it. We can't just manufacture. we kind of wish we could, we kind of flip a switch and say, I'm going to produce some joy today, right? But, but it doesn't work that way. But what we can do is root our lives in God. And when we are rooted in God, we see that the fruit that we desperately desire and that God wants for us begins to grow in our lives and we sort of receive it as produce. And that's what we've been talking about all summer long. And the final fruit in the list is self-control. And self-control is a really important fruit. I'm not saying it's more important than all of the other fruit, love and joy and peace. They're pretty important too. But self-control is differently important. Self-control is a pivot fruit. Self-control is the pivot between good intentions and good actions. We see its pivot role uh, described in, uh, in 2 Peter, uh, the very first chapter. He says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort... To add to your faith, goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, and to a mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do, do you see, if you, if you look there in your Bibles, maybe you would open them to Second Peter or pull it up on your phone. You see the role that self control plays? It's the pivot from internal realities, knowledge, goodness, to external realities, love, action, perseverance, self control. The fruit of self-control is what allows us to turn our internal attitudes, our hopes, dreams, values, and intentions into external reality and positive action. And all of us know what happens when we lack self-control. Right, We know this. We, we can look around at a world. We see a world that is profoundly lacking in self-control where our first impulse, our, our basis desires drive us forward. But we don't have to just look outward to see the effects of a lack of self-control. Honestly, you'll get a better picture of what a life without self-control looks like if you look inward. Look at yourself for just a minute. Maybe you'll look at yourself and you'll see what what Paul saw when he looked at himself. He says, I don't understand my own actions. I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That's what it means when we don't have self-control, right? I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, that's what I keep doing. The law I find at work is this. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I delight in God's law In my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. I recognize that agony. Maybe you recognize that agony. That's the agony of a life lived without enough self-control where you keep choosing the thing you don't want to choose. You keep choosing to yell when you want to speak calmly. You keep choosing to lust when you want to be pure. You keep choosing to cheat when you want to be honest or to lie when you want to bear the truth. Solomon surely had it right when he observes a person without self-control is like a city broken into And left without walls. When we lack self control in our lives, we look around and we wonder, where is the enemy who attacks us? And we realize the enemy is inside the walls. The enemy has already breached the gate. The enemy that attacks us is us. That's what it feels like when we live our lives without self control. And so like all the rest of the fruit, this is fruit we want. We want the fruit of self-control. And so we're going to talk today, and I hope today is an excessively practical message. I'm not super good at practical preaching. I get theoretically practically easy, but I hope today is excessively practical. How do we develop self-control? And in particular, I want to confront a way of thinking about self-control that I think is just wholly inadequate and unbiblical. It's not that it's completely useless. It's just it's not enough, and it's not what the Bible teaches. I want to contrast for us two ways of thinking about self-control. I might describe the first one this way. Some people, a lot of us, are taught to think about self-control in this way. I develop self-control... When I become my own master, facing down temptation and choosing to do what is good all on my own. We we might call this the stoic approach to self-control. And this is so popular in our movies, in our literature, in our culture. This is the image of the lone warrior who enters the situation of temptation or enters the situation where everyone else is choosing to do the wrong thing. And they bravely and boldly, all on their own, choose to do the right thing. And and I'm not saying that that approach to self-control is useless. useless. Listen, sometimes you have to walk through a room full of donuts. I get it. Like those are moments in life where the room is full of donuts and you must bravely and boldly walk past the donuts and not eat a donut. I get it. That happens. But I want to suggest to you, that if that is the the totality of how you think about self-control, and if that is your approach when you are trying to grow in self-control, I will be my own master facing down temptation and choosing the good all on my own. Well, that is a deeply inadequate, ineffective, and unbiblical approach to self-control that will ultimately fail you. In contrast, the Bible teaches approach to self-control we might summarize in this way. I develop self-control when Christ is my master, and I flee from temptation, and I get help when I need it. I want to work through these contrasts just a little bit. Um, I'll work most quickly through the first contrast. This is sort of the theological foundation to self-control, to Christian self-control, and I could spend the whole sermon here. There is so much to say here, but maybe just simply, I'll just put it this way. Christian self-control is not about self-mastery, but about self-surrender to Christ as mastery. Why? Why? Because self-mastery is always self-slavery. To put it simply, you're just not that good a boss. You don't want to work for you. You're not a good enough master. Even if you could succeed at self-mastery, even if the stoic ideal was possible, you're not worth working for when you could work for Jesus. I'll give you, i like to say, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this first point, but I'll give you one illustration that just sort of anchors it in my mind. One illustration from our world today. Um, When I think about who in our culture are the most self-controlled people I know, the most self-disciplined, self-controlled people I can think of, I, I find myself thinking of our elite athletes. These are the people who for 20 years eat exactly the right food, get up at exactly the right time, sleep exactly the right number of hours, and do exactly the right workout day after day after day. Does it get more self-control than that? But what do every single one of these elite athletes do if they really want to reach the top of their game? They get a coach who tells them when to work out. They get a nutritionist who tells them what to eat. They get a doctor who tells them when to sleep and what medicine to take. The way they exercise these elite levels of self-control is by turning over that control to someone else. And I just want to tell you, like I said, we could spend a long time on this, and I'm not going to, but you can't find anywhere in Scripture where the call to Christians is become your own master. Everywhere the call is to give up your own mastery and make Christ Lord. Sacrifice yourself, surrender yourself, and put Christ in charge. That's the first contrast. The second contrast is the contrast between an understanding of self-control as the commitment to face down temptation with the biblical call to flee from temptation. Just to give you a sense of how this shows up in Scripture, it sounds like this. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Or flee from sexual immorality. All the other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their very own body. Or 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And if you were to stop there, that would sound sort of like that stoic approach to self-control, wouldn't it, right? When I face the temptation, I will bear the temptation. I will gather my moral strength and stare temptation in the eyes and not give in. Except, here's what he says next. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. It's not that we never in the Christian life must bear up against temptation and resist that which tempts us. Oh, certainly we must do that. We must do that for however long it takes us to see the path of escape that God has given us. And then we flee temptation. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I want to park here on this principle uh, just for a minute because uh, the the practical implications of this change from from self-control being defined as facing temptation to self-control as fleeing temptation, the practical implications are immense. And so many of us, so many of you, are stuck in a pattern of sin because you are trying to face a temptation that you ought to instead flee from. What I want you to think about is this the most important decisions we make when it comes to our self control are not the decisions we make in the moment of temptation, they are the decisions we make well before that moment where we decide what direction. The most important, like like, you've got a group of friends who are constantly trying to get you to do stupid stuff. The most important decision you make is not whether or not you'll do the stupid stuff your friends tell you to do. It's whether you will hang out with those friends in the first place. To face temptation says, I'm gonna spend all my time with people who are a bad influence. I'll just never let them affect me. To flee temptation is to say, Maybe I shouldn't spend that much time with him. Maybe I'm a fool to try. We are fools when we say things like this. People celebrate their self-control. They'll say things like this. I was in four situations this week that tempted me to do something foolish and I resisted every time. We act like that is the pinnacle of self-control. And I'm not saying it's nothing. I mean, good for you. You resisted temptation. But far better to have said, I made some changes to my life, and I now avoid that temptation altogether. As much as it possible, as far as it depends on me, I just live in such a way that I don't even experience that temptation. I remember hearing a youth minister once ages ago say, There are things that happen between a young couple on a couch in a basement that don't happen on a porch swing on the front porch. And we know what he's talking about. That's just true, right? There are things that happen on a couch in a basement that don't happen on a porch swing on a front porch. And some of us, our approach to self-control is show me the couch and watch how much I resist. And the Bible says, no, just stay on the front porch. A fool, a biblical fool, seeks out temptation and hopes to resist. You tell yourself, I won't give in. I'm going to face the temptation. Where wisdom sees the danger and flees. Proverbs 22.3, the prudent see danger and take refuge. The simple keep going and pay the penalty. Proverbs 22.5, in the paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls, but those who have preserved their life stay far from them. I want to ask you a personal question right now. Many of us right now, many of you, are living with a persistent pattern of sin. Maybe it's lust, maybe it's anger, maybe it's just a little pattern of dishonesty. You just tell little lies all throughout the day just to smooth over social interactions, make yourself look a little better. Maybe it's gossip, maybe it's how you handle your finances, but you've just got a pattern of sin that you just can't shake. It's sort of part of you because you lack self-control and you're trying to white knuckle it out. You're gonna resist this time. What would change about your life if instead you said, I'm going to flee? I'm going to change the pattern of my life so that I don't even experience that temptation that I keep giving into. I just want to be real clear with you. I want to be as compassionate as I can, but I want to be a little firm with some of you. Some of you are not fleeing with temptation, fleeing from temptation. You are flirting with it. You are indulging it. You are delighting in dancing on the line of temptation, keeping it ever there, pretending like you will resist and resist and resist like the hero that you are. But we both know what you'll actually do is resist and resist and resist until you don't. And let me tell you about my house, about the universal law of Oreos in my house. The universal law of Oreos in my house is that Oreos get eaten one whole package at a time. That's the way Oreos. I've heard of people who eat three Oreos. I haven't met any of those people, but I read about them once. But the universal law of Oreos in my house is that Oreos get eaten one package at a time. Now, some of you are thinking that must be, Ethan, because you lack self-control. You would be very wrong. I have amazing powers of self-control i can walk by a package of oreos one time two times five times ten times i can walk by those oreos day after day i can open up the pantry and see the oreos and get out the celery instead day after day don't worry we don't actually keep our oreos the same place as the celery it's a metaphor Roll with me, okay? I can walk by those Oreos day after day after day and not eat them. But the universal law is as follows. As long as the Oreos are in my house, eventually there will come the moment where it's too late or I had a bad day or I'm a little ticked off at something or something about me has weakened just to the point that those Oreos are gone. What does self-control do in the face of such a law? Does self-control say, no, next time I'll be stronger. Next time I'll walk past it 200 times before I eat or 300 times before I eat. They'll expire before I eat them. No, that's the path of fools. The path of self-control seizes upon the very first moment of strength that I find and throws the Oreos way. When we flee temptation, I only have to have self-control one time and I'm safe. When we flirt with temptation, I have to have self-control endlessly, which nobody in this room has, until I am worn down. Again, the practical implications of this transition from a flirt with temptation and face it, to a flee from temptation and be protected, it will affect every area of your life. Young couples, not yet married, you want to stay sexually pure? Do not rely on your moral strength. Rely on your moral habits. Don't spend the night together. Don't go on vacations, just the two of you. Stay away from couches in the dark. Don't place yourself in the context of unbearable temptation, just hoping you'll resist. Stay on the front porch. And bring a friend if you go on a weekend trip. Here at the church, in every single one of our financial transactions, whether it's depositing money or writing a check or balancing the books, all of our financial transactions are done with two people working together. Why is that? Because we don't trust each other? No, quite the contrary. We trust each other enough to flee temptation. Some of us, need to take seriously our lack of self-control when it comes to lust. And right now, instead of fleeing temptation, you flirt with it. You you pay for the service that you know is filled with trash that will rot your heart and destroy your relationships, and you tell yourself, oh, but I'm only going to watch the stuff that doesn't rot my brain, until you don't what would it look like for you to flee that temptation, to to cut off access to that which continues to knock you down? I know a young adult, grown man, fully in charge of his own life and his own phone. He's got no parents nagging at him. He's in charge. And what he discovered was that the temptation to scroll social media was one he could not effectively resist. The stoic approach to self-control would be to say, put those apps on the front of your phone and just power up to not do them. Not this guy. He set up a little piece of software on his phone that limits the amount of time he could use all those apps. And he gave the password to that software to a buddy of his so that he couldn't use them more than a few minutes a day, even if he tried and somebody might want to look at that and say, they might want to look at that and say, oh, he's only doing that because he lacks self-control. But you are very wrong. Instead, that is grade A, high class self-control. He said, I'm done flirting with a temptation that I keep falling into. I don't, he I said, I, said I, can, I don't care how many times I can walk past those Oreos, eventually I'll eat them. They need to be out of my house. Fleeing temptation is not a beginner move until you have the strength to bear temptation. No, no, no. Fleeing temptation is the mature move of wisdom. Fleeing temptation sounds like this. Right now, maybe you're sitting in church. Right now. Right now, I can see that temptation for what it is. Right now, I can see how I keep getting pulled back into it again and again. And right now, I am not overcome by the power of my desires or my habits or my boredom or my anger. And so right now, in this moment of clarity, I'm going to make some decisions about my future. So that later, I will make the decisions I want to make. I'm going to make decisions now so the decisions I have to make later are as easy as possible for me to make. I'm going to organize my life in a way that I don't even wind up in the context where I have failed again and again and again. This is what I want you to hear. According to the biblical wisdom, it is the decision you make before the moment of the decision that is the secret to biblical self-control. Now, will you still need in the moment... Self-control? Oh, yeah. Stoic self-control will still be necessary. Every once in a while, you'll find yourself, like I said, every once in a while, you'll find yourself in a room full of donuts. But wouldn't it be better if you could figure out how to move the donuts? This donut illustration, by the way, is not purely metaphorical. I have discovered, just in case you're curious, I've done some research about this. When people bring donuts to the church that I don't need to eat I can walk past them four times. That's just what my research shows. On a bad day, three. On a good day, six. But it's somewhere between four and five times. But regardless of how strong I feel, the sixth time I walk past donuts, I eat them. Just to be clear, at that point, it's just pity, right? You feel bad for the donut that clearly nobody wants it. It's a lonely donut. Somebody needs to show it love. But this is the thing. Uh, The first time, I never eat a donut the first time I walk by. That's the moment to act. All right, one more way the Bible wants to change your framework about self-control. I develop self-control when Christ is the master, when my goal is Christ as master, not me. When I flee temptation rather than facing it. And lastly, when I get help when I need it. And again, this one is so counterintuitive, right? You're like, wait, that's the opposite of self-control. Self-control is all me being in charge of me. No, self-control is you making the decisions you need to make so that you can pursue holiness. And when you can't flee or you don't know how to flee, the move of wisdom is to get help. We've been looking at Galatians 5 all summer. The very next chapter is one of my favorite moral pieces of moral advice, Galatians 6, starting verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anybody thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. There's so much in this text. It's a beautiful text. There's a lot to unpack. We can notice where he says, when you discover someone else is in sin, be gentle with them. Wouldn't it be nice if we were better at that, being gentle with people when we discover they're in sin? He says that. He says, be careful that you're not tempted. That's good advice. He says, fulfill the law of Christ, which in Galatians 5.14, he's defined as loving one another. But I want to focus on just this one little command Bear one another's burdens. Carry one another's burdens. And I just want you to know, when you are overcome by sin, and you desire self-control, but you lack it, one of the most important things you need to learn to do is to give that burden away to somebody else. To invite someone else to help you carry your sin. I want to give a little testimony here, okay? A little testimony. Learn something about me today. All of the sin in my life that I really want gone, not the stuff that I'm coddling and sort of half like, but I mean the sin in my life that I really want out of my life, somebody knows about. Not just one person, usually lots of people. When I really want sin gone from my life, the way I can tell is I start telling everybody I know who I trust that they love me, I tell them where I'm struggling. And the stuff, the sin that I'm trying to handle on my own You know what we say, right? I don't want anybody to know, but I'll get a handle on it. I'm working on it. It's just between me and God. I wouldn't want to be embarrassed, so I'm not going to tell anybody else. This is just my personal struggle that I got to bear. In my life, that's a lie. The sin I don't tell anybody about, that's the sin I plan to keep. That's the sin I sort of enjoy. And I've got a hunch the same is true for you. The sin that you won't confess and really get someone helping you with, it's the sin you actually plan to keep because the third secret to Christian self-control is to get somebody else to bear your burden. Let me give you a silly illustration. I know we're getting dark here, so I'm gonna lighten up things a little bit, okay? When I was a little kid, I developed a fruit stealing problem. I know it sounds outrageous, but it's true. Every time I went to the grocery store, I stole fruit. Not just any fruit, not, any, not all fruit, just grapes, I'm convinced it must have started innocently enough, right? I'm a little kid toddling around behind my mom while she's shopping for groceries. And there, right above me, I see hanging over the side of the table a bunch of grapes, right? Right? How did I know there weren't free samples? We used to have free samples in the grocery stores back in the 70s and 80s. Some of you can testify. You remember free samples. So how did I know those weren't free samples? And I would walk by and I would just pick grapes off the bunches of the grapes as we were shopping. You know, not a bunch, three, four grapes every time we went to the grocery store. But even though I think it probably started innocently, this habit continued long after I knew better. I loved going to the grocery store because that meant free grapes. I was a persistent grape thief. Now, somewhere along the way, I stopped stealing grapes. I actually don't know why. Maybe my mom caught me and I got punished for it. Maybe I just eventually had a conviction of the Holy Spirit and I stopped on my own. I don't remember. But I don't steal grapes today. But just for a second, to understand this bear one another burden principle, imagine I did. Imagine that was still my thing. That I didn't shoplift anywhere else, but when I went to the grocery store, I ate seven or eight grapes that I didn't pay for. And I came under conviction that I needed to deal with my grape-stealing ways. But I lacked the self-control to deal with it. Well, what would it look like for me to flee temptation? Well, today we have Instacart, right? I could just say, that's it. I'm just going to always shop on Instacart. I know it's embarrassing. I know it costs a little extra money, but that's what I got to do to keep me from the temptation to steal grapes. And I would rather be a little bit silly than keep giving into that temptation. But Instacart's pretty new. What would I have done 10 years ago before Instacart was out there? You know, I'd try my best. I'd white knuckle it through the produce aisle, but I'd always end up stealing two or three I'd hang my head as I walked out. I did it again. Stole grapes. Right back where I've been before. And then I'd read Galatians 6. Bear one another's burdens. And maybe I'd call you on the phone. And I'd say, hey, listen, this is going to sound silly to you. But I got this thing I can't shake. I steal grapes. Um... Would you go grocery shopping with me? And like, while we're in the produce aisle, just watch me. And if I get near the grapes, could you just like tackle me or something? And then I'm good once we make it to dairy. I'm fine the rest of the way out. We can just talk after that. But I really need you to be watching me in the produce section. Would you do that? Would you go grocery shopping with me for as long as it took? Maybe till I'm dead and in the ground to bear the burden of a sin that I can't carry. That's what Galatians 6 says. Bear their burden. When you find somebody sinning, uh, be gentle. Bear their burden. Uh, I told this story as a sermon illustration once, almost 15 years ago, and um, after the first service, was in another church. It wasn't, it wasn't this church. I wasn't working here then. Um, a- after the first service, I preached a sermon. In between services, somebody came up to me and said, you know, that story you told about the grapes, that was sort of silly. But I got a, a true story like that. I said, okay, tell me your story. And they said, I love to go shopping. And something about when I'm shopping, it makes me feel good. And buying stuff makes me feel good. And so for the first 10 years of our marriage, we were in constant on the edge of bankruptcy. Because every time I felt sad or bad about anything, I'd grab our credit card and I'd go shopping and I'd, I'd max out our credit cards and we were in debt and it was bad and it was ruining my marriage and I was in trouble until I got this idea um, and I, I decided that I would, from then on out, I would never shop alone. And to this day, more than a decade later, whenever I go shopping, I invite someone to go shopping with me. I've got a group of friends. A lot of people know I have this problem. I tell people about this problem. I invite them to go shopping and I say, hey, while we're shopping, if I start to buy something, I just need you to ask me, do you really need it? More than a decade later, she said, I still won't shop alone. I still always bring a friend to ask me, do you really need it? And she said, I've I've always been a little embarrassed by that, but I really appreciate your sermon. She said, I'm not embarrassed about it anymore. I thought I did that because I lacked self-control. And now I'm discovering that me doing that was self-control. See, she made the decision before the decision so that she would make the decision that she really wanted to make. Think just for a second. What is the area of your life where you desperately want self-control? Maybe you've been trying to start a daily bible and prayer habit you've been trying to start this habit for 15 years and you just can't do it doggone it have you ever thought about asking somebody else to bear that burden you're like it's just so hard for me to get up early and do it well find somebody who gets up early anyway ask them to call you ask them to call you for the next 20 years You won't have to work too hard if you'll find somebody. Great, what do I care? I'm up anyway. I'm up at five. You want me to call you at 6.30? Yeah, that'd be great. I'll have my fourth cup of coffee by then. Sure, I can call you. Maybe you keep looking at pornography because your lust, your desires are just out of control. Give somebody else the password to your computer. You think this burden is so heavy for me. It'll be weightless to them. What do they care about your lustful desires? You'll be like, can I get the password? They'll be like, no. But they don't care. You see, this is the way it works. Maybe you're drinking too much. Maybe you're losing your temper. What is the place where you got no self-control? Who is the person who could carry that burden for whom it would be light? One of, the, one of the places for me is Fear. Um, I, I, if I'm not careful, I can be ruled by my fear And I, if I've got something to do that I'm afraid of I just won't do it I don't know if that ever affects, happens to you all But that happens to me I've got a thing I need to do But I'm afraid to do it And so I just won't do it uh, And for me, it's mostly conversations I'm afraid to have, right? Maybe I need to apologize to somebody That can be scary Or I need to correct someone Or I need to, you know, got a hard conversation I get afraid, so I just won't have it Well, if you're afraid to have hard conversations That doesn't work if you're a pastor or a boss or a parent or a friend or a spouse, if you're any of those things, you got to have the courage to have a hard conversation every once in a while. And I, I struggle with that. So I have this thing I do. I got a bunch of friends that when I realize I'm putting something off because of fear, I just text them and I tell them, See, remember what I said earlier? All the sin I really want rid of in my life, I make sure lots of people know about it so they can help me. I just text them and say, hey, I got to have this conversation. I keep chickening out. I've had two opportunities and I bailed on both of them. I really have got to have this conversation the next 24 hours. Could you all help me? And one of my kind-hearted friends will text back and something like, sure thing, coward, if we have to. It's all in love. But you can guarantee within 24 hours, one of them's gonna text back and say, all right, what's the word, Magnus? Have Have you found your courage to have that conversation? And I wish every time I would text back and say, oh yeah, of course. But no, often I text back and say, no, I didn't. I'm so glad you asked. I'll do it right now. And because they know me well, they text back and say, we'll believe it when we hear it. And then I make the phone call And then I text him, hey, I called him, thanks. And maybe maybe you're like, that's because, Ethan, you lack self-control. And on the one hand, I don't mind being criticized, so sure. But on the other hand, no, you're just wrong about self-control. Self-control is not stoic self-mastery so that I face temptation all on my own. Self-control is making Christ the master, so I flee temptation and I surround myself with the people that will inspire me, enable me to bear the burdens that I need to bear. And my this is the crazy thing. Remember, my fear, which is a burden that just crushes me to the floor, it doesn't weigh them down at all. What do they care about me being scared? They're not scared. I'm the one who's scared. And that's what you're going to find when you share your burdens with people you can trust, with people who love you, with people who will be gentle with you. You will find that the very burden that just crushes you to the floor is light to them. My grape thieving, if you were to score with me, it won't be any problem for you. You don't steal grapes. We'll make it through produce. You'll be fine. I'll be okay. And then we'll just shop the rest of the time. The most important kind of self-control the Bible wants you to foster is not the ability to make hard decisions in the moment. It is You need that ability. But what's even more important than that is the ability to make good decisions before the moment so the moment either never comes or so when the moment comes you've got a friend by your side who can help you carry the load. I hope this message today has been for you, maybe a practical challenge, maybe a new way to think about self control. I'm going to pray for us in just a second. As I do, I just want you to think about what is it you need to do to, to experience the fruit of self-control that God has for you. Maybe it is that thing about whether you're in charge or Jesus is in charge. You've been trying the stoic approach. I am the master of myself. And instead, it's time for you to say, no, Christ, I want you to be the master. Maybe it's about how you face temptation, and instead you need to flee temptation. I think for a lot of us, that's it. I just see a lot of people out there who live their lives flirting with a temptation, and then they're just shocked to discover that they keep falling into the same temptation. Well, it's the universal law of Oreos. Eventually, somebody eats them. And if you are flirting with temptation, then eventually you will fall into it. Maybe for you, the big change you need to do is you need to you know, open your mouth and tell some people where you're struggling and invite some people to help you carry a weight you can't carry on your own. I don't know what you need to do next. I'm gonna pray that God's spirit will make that clear to you. Let me pray for you right now. God, I pray your blessing upon us all. We desire the self-control that we lack. And so I just pray for those who need to make Christ master for those who need to flee temptation today. God, would you rebuke the half measures we are currently taking where we pretend we're fleeing temptation that we're actually flirting with? And instead, God, allow some people to hate their sin enough that they would make a bold choice to remove that temptation from their life. And I pray for those who need help. May we believe in the gentleness of your people enough that we could go to someone and confess our sin and find someone who will help us bear the burden of a sin we cannot bear. Please, God, accomplish this in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we might experience the fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.